One more time. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you are a guest or if you're relatively new to our community, I want to extend a particularly warm welcome. I saw our greeters and ushers uh, really on top of things, making sure that new folks got uh, some of our welcome bags. But if you did come and it's your first time or you've never received one and you didn't get one this morning, make sure that on your way out, you grab one. It'll give you some information about our church, what we do here in Chatham County, and you'll be able to receive also some gifts uh, that we purchase from some uh, local businesses, and it helps us bless the community as well. Uh, if you do happen to be relatively new to our community, uh, I want to extend an invitation to you for next week. Something that we do with some regularity here is after the service, we have very brief gatherings that we call starting points, and it is an opportunity for folks who are new and checking out our community uh, to get to know one another and also hear a little bit more about our church, uh, what we do here in Chatham County, and what it means to be part of our community as they're considering that. And we're having one next week right after the service. Uh, they are brief. They usually start five to ten minutes after the service, you know, as long as it takes me to uh, greet people and chat with people at the door, and then I'll come in. There are some other leaders that gather with me, and they usually last uh, like 15 to 20 minutes because I'm usually hungry and want to go home and eat. So, uh, and you are as well, and I don't want to hold you uh, from that, but it's a great opportunity uh, to get to know other people and uh, figure out what it means to be part of our church community. A number of folks who have integrated and become part of our church community over the last year, year and a half, uh, started that journey at Starting Point. So join us next week after the service. You don't have to RSVP. If you forget and come next week and you're like, Oh, that's right. That was happening today. Uh, you can show up. It's fine. It's fine. Um, uh, I am a fan of the Star Wars uh, movies and the Star Wars universe. I wouldn't consider myself a nerd, though some folks that know me might disagree. But I wouldn't consider myself a nerd. Uh, but one thing that's very controversial in the Star Wars universe is the standing of what's known as the prequel trilogies. Those are episodes one, two, and three. Uh, they came out in the late 90s and early aughts, and uh, they, they, they polarized Star Wars fans. I enjoyed them because they're the Star Wars movies that came out during, during my formative years, so there's just sort of part of my uh, youth. Um, one thing that's really interesting about the prequel trilogies is that not only did we get the story of how Darth Vader came to be, and for those of you who are interested and don't know, I won't spoil that, but we also get to see some of how the Jedi functioned. Uh, we get to see how they uh, recruited, how they trained, how they developed, how they were organized. And one of the things we saw is that they identified force-sensitive children. And from a young age, they brought them to the Jedi Temple, the Jedi headquarters, and taught them how to use the force, how to use this power that was in them, which makes an element of the original trilogy somewhat sadder. And that is that not only did Luke and Leia have to grow up not knowing the truth about their parentage, and I won't spoil that either, uh, and not knowing that they were twins. All right, I spoiled that. Uh, good luck with dealing with some of the controversy in episode four then, but never mind. Uh, but they went all those years of their upbringing without having their skills and abilities in the force developed. They were born with abilities and skills. They were born being Force-sensitive, but they grew up not knowing it and not having access to it. If you go back and watch the original trilogy with that knowledge, with that knowledge that they had that potential that was untapped, undeveloped, unidentified, you notice that there are spots that would have played out completely differently 
had they grown up in a different way? Had they known that they had access to the force? Had they been aware of it? And had they been trained in how to use it? And there's a truth in that that goes far beyond that galaxy, far, far away, and that story told long ago. It applies to us, and that is this. You and I have access to spiritual power that can make a difference in the places, in the situations, and in the relationships that we find ourselves in, but many of us aren't aware of it, or we aren't aware of the extent to which it applies, and we often don't know how to use it. And that's some of what we're seeking to clarify during these weeks here at Chatham Community Church in our series, Spiritual Power in Everyday Places. The concept that we're digging into is called spiritual authority. And before you're like, whoa, authority, that's such a bad word. I understand where you're coming from, but hear me out. When we talk about spiritual authority, it isn't about having power over people because of how much you pray or how much Bible you know or what position you happen to hold in the church. We're going to take a pass at actually defining what spiritual authority is today. And we'll talk about some ways to apply it. But what we see in scriptures, what we see in the Bible, is that spiritual authority is something that Jesus gifts his followers. His followers not only in the first century, but his followers in every century since, even you and I. And it enables us to make a difference in the spiritual atmosphere, in the places, situations, and relationships that we find ourselves in. We have a part to play to change those for good. So think about this with me. What if, what if in 2024, the hundreds of people that join us on Sunday mornings, whether in person at one of our two campuses or online, started to bring about the change that can be brought about when we apply spiritual power in everyday places, when we release blessing and goodness in every corner, in every location, in every, in every situation in Chatham County, in every school, in every workplace, in every neighborhood, in every family? What if every environment saw blessing and goodness break out all over it. Wouldn't that be great? You and I have an opportunity to be part of that this year. Robert read for us the passage that we're going to be studying today. It's a healing story. But in addition to being a healing story, it's a story that contains insights into authority in general and spiritual authority in particular. In the story, we hear about a centurion. We meet a centurion, and this centurion has a servant. That servant is important to him, meaningful to him, significant to him, and that servant is knocking on death's door. That's the problem that we encounter at the beginning of the story. Now, this centurion is a military officer. He's a military officer within the Roman army, un, with the, in, in the Roman Empire, which means as a centurion that he has, that he has people under his command. He's part of the army of the most powerful empire of that time. And he's, he's, he's in and among a people that have been conquered by that empire. He is part of an occupying force. That's where we find him. They are controlling this area. And the Roman Empire is not beloved in this place. They have not been welcomed with arms wide open. But there's something different about him. As a commander in an occupied territory, he has authority. He has the ability to command things, and they happen. To command people to do things, and they do things. He has the, 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 the authority to compel people, to even threaten people into doing things. 
He may not have authority to heal his servant, but he certainly has the authority to order Jesus to come and even threaten him into healing. He has the authority to issue consequences should Jesus not accept, should Jesus not come, or should Jesus not heal. But he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do any of that. We do know one way that he's used his authority. He's built the local synagogue. Now that word authority can cause many of us to recoil. In fact, many of us don't like it. We don't like to use it. We don't like to be associated with it. We don't like anyone to be associated with it around us. Many of us have seen or heard stories of people using their authority to abuse others or to exact profit for themselves at the expense of the organization or the people under their authority. They have used their authority in harmful ways. And when you add the word spiritual in front of that word authority, it can get even worse because you get people doing all those things under the guise that it's God's will. And that is harmful and that is wounding. And if you've been on the other side of people using spiritual authority to harm or wound or control or compel or manipulate you, or you've seen them gain excessive profit at the, at the expense of the folks that they claim to lead and serve, I'm sorry. That was wrong. As a member of the body of Christ and as a member of the community of those who've been called into spiritual leadership, I apologize. It ought not have been that way. It ought not have been that way. I am so sorry that that was the case. No wonder we are resistant to this idea. We see it used poorly over and over again. But neither authority nor spiritual authority are intrinsically negative concepts. And while it's easy to assume that since we've seen them used poorly, then we might as well not use them at all, the proper response to misuse or abuse is not disuse, but it's redemptive proper use. And that's what we're seeking to do today. I was watching a video recently of a man who walks into a pizza shop and he says, hey, I've got X amount of money. I think he said, I've got $1,000 and I'd like to buy as many pizzas as possible because I'd like to feed the homeless in this community. And, and the, the, the person at the cash register, a young person, maybe a college student working at the, at the pizza shop, maybe a high schooler, is like so excited. It's like, okay, well, what, what would you like on those pizzas? What the toppings? Like if it's one topping, it costs this. If it's two toppings, it costs that. If it's cheese, it just costs that. And you get this many pizzas. And the guy's like, just, just give me a mix of them, whatever. Uh, however many I can buy with this amount of money. And from the back, you hear a voice say, hey, wait, what, what are you doing? And the guy says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm buying pizza, right, from the back of the shop. I'm, I'm buying pizzas to feed the homeless. And the guy says, oh, we're not going to charge you full price. We'll charge you half price. And what you see is sort of the number of pizzas that could have been made now doubles. Now, that instinct to change the price, that desire to be able to bless more people, to feed more of the hungry, might have been in that person at the register, but you know what the difference between the person at the register and the person in the back of the shop is? The person in the back of the shop was the owner. The person at the register doesn't have the authority to change the prices, but the owner does. 
and he used his authority for good. He used his authority to bless. And because he does, there is good fruit. And here's the principle. Authority stewarded well and used to bless bears good fruit. Authority used well and used to bless bears good fruit. Even though there are instances of misuse and, uh, and abuse, even though they ring loudly in our ears, it's likely many of us have been part of authority being used well, used to bless, used to grant opportunities. Some of us maybe had a teacher who decided to give us an extension on that assignment because they saw our life circumstances or they saw our potential or they said, you know, hey, everyone makes a mistake. Let me give you another shot. That is their authority. And you and I were blessed by that. Maybe we had employers who said, yeah, company policy is that you only get this many days, but I see what you're doing. I see that this is a special circumstance, so go ahead and take the time that you need. That is authority used well. And when authority is used well, it bears fruit. Many of us think well of those teachers. We remember them fondly. For some of us, those employers bred some loyalty in us because of what they did. The centurion has stewarded his authority well. And it bears good fruit here. What we see is that Jewish elders go to Jesus to appeal on behalf of this man. They're appealing on behalf of a leader in the occupying army. I want you to hear that. A leader in the occupying army, a reminder that they are not free as a people, and they are going to appeal on his behalf. In fact, what they say is, he deserves for you to come do this. He loves us. He did this for us. They plead for Jesus to come. And then Jesus hears, there's the other fruit, Jesus hears about this centurion. He hears about what he's done and he starts to make his way towards him. He's going to heal the servant, the servant who's knocking on death's door, who's in a no-hope situation, now has hope. It's the good fruit of authority stewarded well. Now, while they're on their way, the centurion sends friends to stop Jesus from coming into his house. Now, there may be a few things at play here. One of it might be the dynamic between Jews and Gentiles. We see later on in the book of Acts that there are situations where if a Jew enters a Gentile home, there is some challenge, some controversy to that. It may have caused problems. So, so the centurion might be preempting this, not wanting to cause Jesus problems among the Jewish community. But it also seems that he has a sense that Jesus is operating in a completely different sphere of authority and he feels unworthy. In fact, he externalizes that. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Roof. Whatever the reason, he sends a message to Jesus through these friends. And the message is basically this. Listen, I get authority. I understand it. I believe there's some overlap in the mechanics of how authority functions in my world and how it functions for yours. And that in your sphere of authority, you actually don't have to come into my home to do the thing I'm asking you for. You can speak the word of healing and it will happen. Now that seems like a really profound understanding of authority and of spiritual authority for someone who has, who's like not part of the Jewish world and has never met Jesus before, is not one of his disciples. In fact, it, it, it's arguably his disciples don't get authority in this way yet. Yet. But here's how he explains it. He says, I myself, I'm a man under authority. I have soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, 
and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now we'll get to the first part, for I myself am a man under authority in just a second. But notice that part of why he's able to have that degree of understanding of Jesus' authority is because authority in his sphere works in a similar way. He issues orders for things to happen. He doesn't have to be in the place where they need to happen. He doesn't have to have his hands on the things that need to move for them to happen. He issues the order for things to happen, and people make things happen. The people under his authority make things happen. Now, let's go back to that first sentence. That first sentence could say, I am a man with authority. And the paragraph would make the same amount of sense that it makes now. If it said, I am a man with authority with soldiers under me, it would make exactly the same sense, but it doesn't say that. Because part of why he understands authority, maybe even why he uses it well, is because he is connected to the chain of command. He follows the source of his authority. He is under the source of their authority. And there is a parallel for spiritual authority here. We don't get it, spiritual authority, with a title. We don't get it with people willing to do what we ask. We don't earn it based on our grasp of spiritual knowledge or biblical languages or how many, if any, degrees we have or how many books we read. We get spiritual authority by following Jesus. We get spiritual authority by being connected to the source. We can't bring spiritual power to everyday places without being connected to the one who grants it and aligning our will to his. In order to have access to spiritual authority, in order to bring spiritual power to everyday places, we have to remain connected to the source. We have to remain connected to Jesus, to the one who grants it, and we remain connected to his will. The more we follow Jesus, the more we yield to his will, the more we do this thing that's called obedience, the more we respond to his invitations, the more we'll understand the authority that we've been given and the more fluent we'll become in what it looks like to use, to steward their authority for good, to bring spiritual power to our relationships, to the places that we find ourselves in, to the situations that we're called to. Now, the story tells us that the servant is healed, but in one of the other Gospels, it shows us how, and I want to illustrate this. Here's what it says in the parallel account in Matthew. It says that Jesus says to the centurion, Go! Let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. We have stories of Jesus healing people by laying on hands. We have stories of Jesus doing lots of different things to heal people that involve physical contact. But this is one where he actually exercises what the man, what the centurion had described. He speaks from afar and it happens. Just like the centurion thought. Jesus speaks his will for this situation, and it comes to pass. He didn't send doctors to him. Now, pause. This is not me saying that we should not go to doctors when we find ourselves ill. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus does in this situation. It seems like something happens in the unseen realm after Jesus speaks those words, and you see the results of that happening in the known and seen realm. Jesus speaks the word. The man that's ill doesn't hear the words. Jesus is far away. 
But somehow Jesus speaks these words and something happens in the realm that we cannot see or perceive and you see the results. Because when people go back to the centurion's house, they find the man healed. Which brings us to our definition of spiritual authority. And for this definition, I'm indebted to a professor of mine, Dr. Frank Chan. Here is the phrasing that we're using. Spiritual authority is the right and the ability to speak into the spirit realm in such a way that agents, and for agents just think things, things in the spirit realm obey with corresponding outcomes in the natural realm. What that means is that we speak into the unseen reality and things happen in the unseen reality and we know that they happen in the unseen reality because we see fruit in the seen or perceived reality. This is what you and I have been granted. This is what you and I have been granted. It's what Jesus extended to his disciples and to the disciples after that, what has been passed down for generation after generation to everyone who is called on the name of Jesus, the gift of bringing to bear spiritual power in everyday places because it's it's what it looks like to bring the good news that the kingdom of light has come that victory has been won, that all the signs of life are breaking through every part of reality. We can speak in the natural realm and issue directives into the unseen realm that produce results that we can verify with our senses. People are healed. People are freed. The atmosphere changes. Peace comes. It can look like lots of different things and it can happen in lots of different ways. For spiritual power to be experienced In everyday places, people who believe that there is a spiritual dimension to issues or situations need to engage it, need to be willing to affect spiritual change. Spiritual power is not going to be brought to everyday places by people who don't believe that there is a spiritual dimension to things. But those of us who do believe, then this is our invitation, and I know that that feels like a stretch for some of us. For some of us, it's completely new. And here's the thing. If you're new to Chatham Community Church, we've not talked about this in this way ever before. So it's new to most of us here. What I'm going to ask you to do, right, if you're like skeptical about this, is if you're not sure, I'm going to ask you to do what the centurion did. I'm going to ask you to exercise just a little bit of faith. Because that's what what Jesus celebrates about the centurion. The centurion exercises faith. His servant's situation was desperate. There were no solutions available to him that worked. So he took a leap. What's the leap? He took the leap that said, well, the authority of Jesus works in a similar way to how I understand authority. That's a leap of faith. He doesn't know that that's true, but he takes the leap. He says, all right, I'm going to have faith in this, that that Jesus has authority in this area. He believes, he trusts that Jesus has authority to heal his servant. He takes a leap and believes that Jesus will be willing to use that authority in this case. At every turn, he exercises faith, and Jesus celebrates that. Jesus celebrates when we exercise faith. It can be for big things like that, or things that feel big like that, but it can be for little things as well, or things that feel little. Jesus celebrates every opportunity to exercise faith. So that's the invitation, to exercise faith. And here's 
how I want us to exercise faith or I want to invite us to exercise faith this week. I want us to exercise faith by stepping into the spiritual authority, by bringing spiritual power into an everyday place, an everyday situation, and an everyday relationship. I know this feels out there for some of us. This feels like a stretch. This feels like a risk. But if we believe that there are things outside of what we can perceive that affect our world, then there has to be a solution for that. There has to be a way to engage that. If we believe that there are things that could affect good that we cannot see, then there has to be a way to call that forth, to engage with that. And guess what? You and I have the invitation to do that. You and I have the call to do that. You and I have been entrusted to do that. So if, you, if you've never done it and you're hesitant, do it once this week. Just try it once this week. Have faith. Trust that Jesus has given you some measure of authority in the places, relationships, and situations you're in. You may wonder, well, where might I have authority? We have authority over spiritual opposition wherever we encounter it. Wherever we encounter spiritual opposition, we have authority. We have some measure of authority over our physical body. We have some measure of authority in our household, in our homes, within our family. We have some measure of authority in our workplace because it's the place where we've been called to exercise our gifts. We have some measure of authority in our neighborhoods because we've been placed there to be a spiritual light for good in our town, in our county, or in the ministry or volunteer, ministry or volunteer opportunities that God has called you to. Exercise some measure of authority there. Bring to bear some spiritual power, either to bring about good or to push back the darkness. Now, there are lots of ways to do this. You may be wondering, okay, how? What do I do? Is there a map? All right. There are lots of ways to do this. I'm not going to walk through all of them, but I want to walk you to, through two. And these are the ones that we're going to try out this week. I'm going to cite two passages for this. The first comes, um, they both come from Matthew, and the first is associated with Peter after he declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and Jesus says, I will build uh, uh, my church, and the church that will emerge uh, will be able to conquer any spiritual opposition. Here's what he says to Peter. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And it's, it's fair to have a conversation about whether that permission is only granted to Peter, but later on, he's speaking to a broader audience, and he says almost the same things. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Most of us don't use binding and loosing language, so I appreciate that that can feel a little bit religious, foreign, or churchy. Use other language if you want, but there's language for you, right? You can use release, you can use um, uh, capture and, and, and cast out, whatever is helpful to you. But this is language that we have. We have the opportunity to bind and loose on earth, and it is bound and loosed in heaven, right? Notice, notice the connection between the natural realm and the spiritual realm. The connection is there. He's given us this authority to do these things. When there is spiritual authority, our invoking of good or our invoking of evil carries weight. We can steward the authority we have one way or another. I'd add a third option. Our invoking of nothing also carries weight. 
Apathy or indifference or disengagement also carries weight. So let's exercise faith this week by stewarding the authority we have for good. Let's pray binding prayers this week. Here's what binding means. It's forbidding spiritual opposition to have power in any situation, place, or relationship. Many, many years ago, I was early on in my ministry career. I didn't know anything about spiritual authority. And I had a season where whenever I was in a church service or in a situation where people read scripture, I would hear a voice over and over again saying, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. And I thought, that's just me because I'm I'm a bit of a skeptic. You know, I didn't grow up in the church. I've always sort of brought my questions. I'm really curious about the Bible. But it kept happening. And it, it was so distracting. I could not pay attention to Scripture being read. And I mentioned it to someone who I trusted who was sort of an older person, who was a person known for prayer. And that person said, that's not normal. There's some spiritual opposition. And he prayed a prayer of binding. He said, whatever that voice is, that is saying to Jaime that scripture isn't true. We bind it and we tell it to leave in Jesus' name. It's never happened again. It's never happened again. There's no yelling. There was no struggling. There was no like sweating or shaking about. (laughs) He just took authority. And with his authority, he declared that opposition would be gone. He bound opposition and he cast it out. And I learned something about spiritual authority that day. So let's pray binding prayers. Here's a binding prayer you can pray. Now, there isn't spiritual opposition in every negative situation. So don't blame the devil for everything. But if there, if there feels like there is a spiritual component, pray against it in Jesus' name. You have authority for that. The enemy has been defeated. He is not stronger. So there's a prayer you can pray. I bind a spirit of blank in Jesus' name. Send it away from and cut off its power over, you know, over this place. Alex is talking at North Chatham about how he's been praying against the spirit of death at Jordan Lake because there's been a number of deaths that have occurred there. That's how he would pray. He would pray, I bind a spirit of death in Jesus' name and send it away and cut off its power over Jordan Lake. And amen, would Jordan Lake be a place where no one else loses their life forever and ever? Think of the prayers you could pray that would cast out maybe even legacies of evil or of sadness or of loss or of brokenness from your family or from your neighborhood or from your communities. You have the authority to do that. Let's pray binding prayers this week. We can also pray loosing prayers. Loosing prayers are releasing God's power to bless, transform, and set free in a person or a situation. Here's a prayer that you can pray. I set loose a blessing of blank. A blessing that comes from the Spirit of God in and o- or over this, in Jesus' name. We've been praying. We've prayed loosing prayers over this space. Last year, I remember I shared it with the congregation, I said, we have, not, we have not had baptisms here in a long time. Would we pray that God would release a desire in people to take steps of faith, that they would feel the call into faith, And we have had baptism after baptism here since then. Why? Because people prayed a release of faith in this place. Now, again, not every situation has the enemy behind it. But as long as we are on this side of heaven, in every situation, there is a spiritual need. 
If you don't know if there's any opposition to cast out, I can guarantee you there's some good to bring about. There is some blessing to release. So maybe you're like, I don't know about the binding prayers. I'm not sure. Okay, pray the loosing prayers. Release goodness. Release blessing. Release peace. Release reconciliation. Release forgiveness. Release redemption. Release salvation. Release joy. Jesus delegated this to us. Let's go do it. Let's go do it. Because our families need it. Because our communities need it. Because our workplace is needed. Because our school is needed. Because our neighborhoods need it. Because our governments need it. Because our friendships need it. Because every, every, every place, every situation, every relationship could benefit from the blessing of God breaking through. Let's go do it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray to bless us and empower us to do this this week. But I want to create some space as well. Some of us are looking at these prayers and we're like, I could use one of those prayers. All of us could use a loosing prayer. But some of us are here and we know we could use a binding prayer over us. There's no shame in that. There's freedom. There's freedom. So here's what we're going to do. We've got some people who, are, who, are, who have volunteered to pray, to pray today. Some of them are going to be in the back. And we're going to have some folks in the front. After I pray, the worship team is going to play a song. While they're playing that song, go and get a prayer. No one's going to wonder, oh my God, are they getting a binding prayer? No one's going to wonder that. There's no shame, and don't let the enemy confuse you into sitting down. All they're going to know is whether it's binding or loosing, you're experiencing the freedom and blessing of God today, and that is worth celebrating. So let me pray, uh, and after that, as the worship team sings, if you need it, go and get prayer. Let's pray. In Jesus' name.